Welcome to Me and Mary Jane with your host, Patricia A. Patton. Patricia A. Patton, a.k.a. Canna Boomer, and now founder of the Cannabis Business Alliance. I'm joined today on the Me and Mary Jane podcast by, uh, with, I'm with Dr. Kathy Sedia. She is a professor of biology at Stockton University, and she's also the coordinator of the cannabis studies minor at Stockton University. So today, We're going to be able to look at the future based upon what's happening at the university level with those people who are really on the forefront of this cultural shift. Um, So welcome. I'm blah, blahing, but welcome. Thank you so much, Patricia. I really appreciate you having me on. Yes, I had an opportunity to meet um, Kathy about three weeks ago. I went down to Stockton University. It's in Galloway. New Jersey, my home state. And uh, this was like really a great event, small, but deep in its content level in terms of the people who were there. Tell us a little bit about how you put that together. Sure. Um, Well, we do have cannabis studies minor. And uh, we basically designed it so we can work with pretty much any major at the university so that they can enter the cannabis industry if they're interested in it. Like if it's a business major, uh, they might be able to enter, you know, as uh, perhaps an entrepreneur or an accountant or uh, any kind of, you know, on the business end of things. Uh, There is also, of course, this booming field of uh, cannabis journalism. So a lot of our communication majors are interested in that. And of course, you know, every company needs to have some social media presence. Uh, So we have, you know, communications, graphic design uh, majors who might be interested in it. So there is basically a whole slew of jobs outside of dispensaries proper. And uh, this is obviously up your alley, you know, because you are interested in uh, sort of uh, all the other businesses that are supporting cannabis industry and maybe not as visible as butt tenders and so forth. Uh, So we wanted our students to know about all the careers that are available to them. And uh, our first cannabis fair, fair was in 2019. Uh, then in 2020, we went uh, virtual. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, we kind of had to, obviously, because of COVID. And uh, this was uh, our fifth cannabis fair, I believe. And uh, yeah, we basically would try to bring um, companies, we're bringing on vendors, uh, people oftentimes interview on site. And we also have a track of panels where people uh, basically talk about the variety of opportunities that exist. Uh, we had the panel, uh, for example, you know, on hemp. We had the panel on hospitality. Uh, we had the panel basically on all possibilities for the students. And we also always try to have a student panel because some of our graduates uh, yeah, graduated some students already who are, uh, some of them started as bud senders and then went into uh, being managers and now they're working outreach. 
so, you know, there are some very good careers. Uh, we have one student who is working as a cultivator. We have others who are working uh, in basically a variety of roles in the industry. So it's really good to have them come back and talk about things that they have learned and things that have discovered. And also because all of our students are required to have an internship uh, completed, this is also a good opportunity for them to make some connections, to network, and perhaps, you know, scope out who is looking for interns. Especially now, you know, so many people are applying for uh, licenses. And oftentimes it's really great to have an intern during the application process, right? Because, you know, this is somebody who can help with paperwork and it's really a valuable experience for the students to see what actually goes into starting a new business, right? So Cannabis Fair was... I'm surprised really that the program has occurred five times and that you guys were so far ahead, even of legalization in the state. Like, I don't know what kind of leadership or how you're able to convince the decision makers to allow this to happen. Well, uh, our president Harvey Castleman has been extremely supportive uh, of it from the uh, beginning, basically both himself and his uh, wife are uh, very supportive of uh, medical cannabis. And uh, when we first started talking about having, you know, something to do with that uh, part of the industry, and that was the talk started, I want to see back like 2016, 2017, we started talking about that. Uh, and then we got the minor going in 2018. And um, yeah, so our administration has been thankfully very, very supportive. And uh, Cara Hood, who was the associate provost at the time, uh, she was really like the champion of this program. She kind of, she got together a lot of the faculty who might be interested in it. Uh, and she really did a lot of kind of administrative pushing for us because uh, faculty are kind of, uh, oftentimes, you know, like we're good with curriculum development and stuff like that. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, sort of uh, really pushing things through the higher levels, we might not be as effective as administrators would be. So it would be, it was really nice to have the support. That's very interesting. And it's also a very um, incisive sort of acknowledgement on your part as um, an academician, but you also have an interest as a biologist, as a scientist. You know, you have an interest in this kind of shift in the nature of, uh, in nature, period. And you understand it in a different way, I think, than, than most of us. I noticed uh, that you had done some work on the Pinelands. I'm, I know that may not be, you know, the most recent that, that you've done, but tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sure. Well, uh, it, it actually all kind of makes sense. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you kind of feel like you all over the place, but then it all comes together. I'm sure you had this experience. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I think like we, we all like at, when you get like to a certain age, it's just like, oh man, all this running around. There was actually a point in that. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested in plant ecology, basically, and how plants interact with the environment. And uh, my work uh, in graduate school and soon after uh, was basically looking uh, mostly at how uh, vegetation 
in the pinelands interact like you know sometimes you see there are some pines sometimes you have a lot of bare ground with just like some lichen on it uh, so i was basically just like trying to understand how those things uh, grow especially after forest fires uh, so i was kind of very interested in what vegetation does to the soil to the soil microbes and so forth uh, i also worked a bit with uh, honeybees and uh, now i'm kind of uh, weirdly sort of bringing it all together back to the beginning, but I'm starting to look at hemp and uh, what hemp does to the soil. Uh, specifically, you know, there's a lot of interest now in um, environmental cleanup and hemp has been very, very effective in removing all sorts of contaminants from the soil. So here we go back again, right? Plants and soil, it, it right. all, you know, it, right. it, it all interacts, it all makes sense. So I am looking uh, right now at a couple of things. And one of them is uh, heavy metals and basically how effective hemp is at uh, removing them. And the other thing I am currently interested in is uh, hemp fiber and fiber production. And especially I'm kind of looking at uh, natural microbial ratting, you know, basically if we leave the hemp stalks in the field, mm -hmm. eventually everything but the fiber rots away. Uh, so, yeah, it's so just, it's, yeah, it's just like it's fiber. It's something that microbes don't like to eat very much because it's all carbon. There is no nitrogen. There is no phosphorus. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, you know, this is why uh, like we, we can digest fiber, right? It's just basically cellulose and wood and paper and all this stuff. Uh, so yeah, so that's another thing that I'm looking at because if we can do the fiber extraction without any extra energy, right without any kind of uh, interference and just like using this completely natural methods and like whatever is left in the field goes back into the soil um, i think it could be sort of a very sustainable way of um, fiber manufacturing uh, this is of course you know becomes the question of time and scale uh, but this is also you know something that we're looking at right now it, that's interesting because i don't know where i got this fragment of information from and that just you know shows you really have to investigate why do I think this but I thought that um hemp consumed you know poisons and heavy metals as opposed to clearing them you know I don't know where I got that from some conversation and maybe I misunderstood what was being said well, I mean, both are actually correct because uh, it, it does um, take them from the soil into itself, mm -hmm. right? So this is how heavy metal removal kind of works. Uh, and then, of course, the question becomes like, okay, so we remove the heavy metal from the soil. It is now in hemp. Right. Uh, where do we put it now? And that's a whole other issue, right? Yeah, so I guess that's really... Well, it popped into my head because as uh, a... Um, you know, I have a preference for full spectrum uh, CBD, um, hemp derived and otherwise. And so the first thing that popped into my head, particularly as an older person, was how can I be certain that it is 
clean, you know? And, and it is a very good question. That is uh, not something that we're doing currently, but something that I do have, uh, uh, I, I do have basically a proposal uh, in the works to look at it, is basically uh, a lot of hemp uh, and a lot of CBD that is, you know, manufactured, uh, I want to say in a variety of areas, you know, people usually say China, but it's not just China. Uh, oftentimes, you know, they will use hemp for bioremediation and then extract CBD from it. And it is a good question, you know, does any of those heavy metals actually make it into the CBD, right? And uh, we really don't know terribly much about it. Uh, usually with plant bioremediation, uh, heavy metals end up being just like locked up in the specialized uh, root cells. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is just something that we're kind of assuming at the moment, and it really hasn't been experimentally uh, investigated. And that's a whole other issue too, you know, because um, oftentimes we think about sort of just the positive impacts uh, of, you know, cannabis and uh, hemp industries. But there are also, you know, potentially negatives, like, you know, if you don't know where your CBD comes from, if you don't know how the hemp was cultivated, like we're doing organic no-till cultivation uh, for hemp. When it comes to cannabis, it is very fertilizer intensive crop, right? There's going to be pesticides probably, and um, there are going to be potentially fungal contamination, which is uh, something that is a pretty common issue with cannabis. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we oftentimes, you know, talk about uh, safety in terms of like, oh, you know, cannabis, it's non-addictive, it's benign, it's a good drug. And it's like, yeah, sure, but do you know how it was cultivated? Because, you know, there could be safety concerns, not from the THC or CBD point of view, but from the cultivation practices. And this is, you know, also something that I think worth thinking about. And when you say uh, you described um, the hemp cultivation as no-till, could you explain what that means? Because I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, no, basically what it means is uh, normally uh, when we grow crops, we till the soil, meaning that we just like basically mix it up with uh, machinery. Mm -hmm. And no-till means that we do not do that, that the soil is left undisturbed. Uh, and uh, it is considered to be, it, it doesn't work, you know, obviously for all crops, but for the crops like hemp for which it does work, uh, it is actually a good practice because it uh, minimizes erosion, right? The soil remains, soil remains stable. Uh, it also does not constantly increase um, outputs of uh, greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes, you know, when you plow and you till the soil, uh, you end up exposing additional organic matter uh, to the oxygen and starts decomposing and that increases uh, greenhouse gases emission. And um, yeah, so basically it's mostly, you know, prevention of erosion. It is also more difficult for uh, weeds to come in into until soil. So there are like all sorts of the benefits to it. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm a gardener, you know, I grow food and flowers. And so it's fascinating for me. And I'm actually looking forward to um, 
a change in the law that would allow me to grow my own medicine. Philosophically, that's something that I would uh, like to be able to do. Sure, and that and that's so important too because the stuff that you grow yourself, you know exactly where it came from. This is true. This is true. So let's bounce back to what you all are teaching your students in the um, minor, because I'm super fascinated by this, really, because as someone who I worked in hospitality for 20 years for the Belgian government, you know, I um, have done marketing and uh, project management. And so, you know, public relations, writer, you know, a retreat person. But what's interesting to me is, um, and what's important to me is that you all are actually training a new workforce. Like you're really training a new workforce in this cultural shift as it's going on. And a lot of places, I just kind of hear the same thing being repeated, but there's not a lot of how do you do this? You know, how do you actually do this? You know, even what you told me about the soil had opened my head up a, a bit about well, what that could mean for prospective people who want to work in the industry. One of the people that I met at your career fair is a person who offers um, compliance certification. I didn't have an opportunity to follow up with him. I've been chasing him actually, but um, I don't know what the certification is from the state or from his program or what, but I thought it was brilliant that you would have someone there who would offer the mechanics of um, how, how could you actually certify that something was done? Because lab results vary from state to state. Is that not true? Yes, absolutely. And also, you know, there are multiple certifications. Uh, for example, you know, if we're looking at hemp, certification would be that they don't have more than 0.3% THC rate. Uh, if we are uh, looking at uh, cannabis, and this is the practice that has been established with like in New Jersey with medical cannabis cultivation, uh, they test for THC content and basically make sure that it's actually what you say it is. Uh, and also they test for um, fungal contaminations because, you know, fungal pathogens are a concern and they can be potentially hazardous. So all medical cannabis that's been sold in the dispensaries has been tested uh, for that sort of thing. But there, of course, you know, goes much like I don't know nearly as much as I should about compliance. Uh, but yeah, Jason uh, Thomas, uh, he, he, he is the person who does compliance. He's very, very good. Uh, but to go back to your sort of more uh, general uh, question about uh, the students, uh, I think part of, you know, the push for this minor, at least like on my part, and this is basically something that I think I always say, is uh, you know, when you know that there's going to be a new industry, even if it's just stays medicinal, we didn't know at the time, right? Like we we're kind of like, okay, just um, stays medicinal. And uh, speaking of the uh, students, you know, every time you have a new industry, you know that there's going to be jobs, right? Not just medical, not just dispensaries, but, you know, compliance, uh, IT, social media, business, accounting, all of those things 
that go importing the industry, there will be jobs coming into the state. And of course, with adult markets, jobs, you know, growth will accelerate. And with hemp, you know, I can't even imagine how much jobs we will get out of that. Uh, but uh, the point is, there will be jobs. I want my students to get them. And of course, there is, you know, no standards credentialing anywhere, you know, right? This is why we put the internship as one of the requirements. And uh, we basically have uh, some introductory courses for them. Uh, like we, we have a class in medicinal cannabis. Uh, we have a class in cannabis law. Uh, they can take an elective relating to their major. And the last two classes are preparation for internship, which uh, Rob Bihia teaches. And uh, many of you probably know Rob, he's been really wonderful. Uh, he teaches quite a few classes for us and he's been just like this powerhouse of organizing events, you know, and going to the events and sort of promoting Stockton. Uh, he really has been great. And he teaches this class preparation, you know, for um, cannabis internship which focuses on uh, sort of what options they are. So kids, you know, can sort of choose and sort of think beyond just the dispensary. And then we have those, you know, career fairs and other opportunities for them when they can pick an internship, uh, do the work and uh, get their foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Because uh, as you know, there is really no kind of standard to speak of. And uh, a lot of... Uh, in any industry, networking does a lot. Uh, so to have, for those kids to have the opportunity to actually meet people who work in the field, uh, get a chance to prove themselves as an intern. And then a lot of them actually transition into full-time positions uh, in the yeah. companies that they interned in. So that's been uh, really uh, great, uh, great for us. I think that's fantastic. I mean, uh, it, it makes me when we're talking about full circles, you can tell how long ago it was for me. But when I was at the university, I worked as a librarian in the computer library. And though they, that's when they had the big round tapes. That you, I remember. Engineers, and you put on a, on a cart and then you pushed them down, you know, for Boeing's and then you filed them. Like that was a real job before the other one. So it's just very interesting now to kind of watch how change happens and uh, to actually be able to be a part of it also. That's what one of the things I find really exciting. And there's the other exciting thing is that you always meet people like you who have sort of um, have a portfolio career, curious, you know, looking at life and how it's connected to, to each other. You know, so they didn't, they weren't able to keep you in a silo, obviously, you know? Uh, listen, I see those 18 year olds and they're like, I'm bored. Like, how can you be bored? It's true. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much to do and to know. So let me just ask a quick question about your writing. Uh, I know you poo-pooed me when I said, I can't believe you've written so many books. Oh, you go, oh, it was some time ago. But you were writing as a fantasy writer is how they describe it on Wikipedia, a science fantasy writer. Would you go along with that description? Sure, sure, oh. yeah, I'll go along with that. And I didn't poo-poo you, it was just like, I didn't want to give 
people an impression that I do have an active writing career. Currently, I'm on hiatus from that. Yeah, but I mean, I'm a writer. And, so, and sometimes you don't produce, but it doesn't mean you're not a writer. And it's clear that you're writing in a different way now. You're putting stuff together and you're putting it in practice so that it's useful to a different audience. To me, that's how I look at it, you know? It was just so many hours in the day, you know? That's exactly right. So how did you get started as a fantasy writer? What does that come from your childhood? From not really. I mean, it was just I. Um, uh, it was soon after graduate school, uh, and you know, in graduate school, and then I sort of I started as um, a young assistant professor at Stockton, and uh, it's just you know a lot of science, a lot of work, and I just needed a creative outlet. So I just, you know, started uh, writing. And uh, yeah, so some of those people were interested and so, you know, got them published. Uh, Worked with actually a very good publisher, Prime Books, can highly uh, recommend them. They're a small publisher, but they basically, back in the day when they were, you know, physical bookstores actually accounted for a lot of sales. Uh, they were like always get their books in the bookstore, so that was good. Uh, yeah, but they've been really good to work with, and uh, yeah, I was as I said, I was just like sort of looking for a creative outlet at the time. So, so with your students, then, um, in terms of your work as um, the coordinator for this program, do you find that you have to? Um, encourage them to move outside of this mindset of I want to own a dispensary? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, don't think it's my job, you know, to tell anybody what they should be doing, but I certainly can expand the horizons a little bit uh, because, you know, it's, I, I do have uh, students, you know, who basically say like, um, I'm looking for an internship. I called all the dispensaries. Uh, but, you know, they don't really have anything that I'm interested in. And at this point, I say, well, okay, what is your major? Oh, you know, if it's, I don't know, sustainability. Have you considered, you know, like perhaps doing an electric audit or perhaps looking into cultivating uh, cultivation practices or perhaps, you know, considering, um, you know, resource use for indoor versus outdoor cultivation. So we can always, you know, kind of start uh, looking what people are interested in and kind of seeing how it can be applied uh, to the things that uh, they are uh, interested in. And also um, I try to sort of get them to think, you know, oftentimes again, you know, it's just like, there is no thinking, as you said, beyond the dispensaries. And it goes also uh, to the fact that like, I'm happy that New Jersey talks a lot about equity and they talk a lot about, uh, you know, restorative justice, which is great, uh, but that also only goes to the dispensaries. And it's, you know, to me, it's like, okay, great. You know, like I'm happy to see, you know, minority applicants, but a lot of people, might not want to own a business, you know, a lot of people are just, you know, want a job, not necessarily in this industry. 
This is why, you know, among other things, we also host uh, expungement clinics periodically when we bring lawyers. And you saw one, I think we had at our career fair, uh, when we basically bring lawyers in and help uh, people with uh, drug-related, you know, offenses to expunge them so that they can move on with their lives, you know. And to me, maybe they will not find a job in the cannabis industry, but to me, this is still part of the same, you know, justice circle. You know, if you're looking at the war on drugs and who was affected by it, that's important, right? This is why we have a cannabis law class. Um, We also, um, you know, like stuff like, um, there's going to be a lot of adult is opening, right? And this is something I've been talking to to anybody who would listen like forever. So forgive me if you heard me say that before. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, like housing prices, if we basically start having people moving in for the cannabis jobs, who is going to protect housing prices? Who is going to make sure that people still can pay their rent? Like rent in New Jersey is like bad enough as it is, right? Yeah. Who, who is going to protect it? Also, you know, it's uh, a lot of like where those dispensaries are going to be located. Like a lot of wealthy towns are like not in my neighborhood, right? And uh, they sort of zone cannabis businesses out. So where will they end up? How will that affect residents just like liquor stores, right? Uh, so uh, I, to me, all of those questions, you know, so, something that I want our students to be thinking about. I don't want them to basically sort of go out, work at the dispensary and sort of view this industry as kind of not connected to the rest of what is going on in the state, to the rest of what is going on in the world. So, yeah. I think that that's really important. And I think that really anybody who has an opportunity to have the advantage of your foresight and understanding of business and and what that could mean. I mean, that puts you on a whole nother plane in terms of moving forward, particularly if you're somewhere between 18 to 25 and you're trying to figure out what the world's going to look like or how might you fit in. I mean, generally, you don't know. You're just kind of like doing stuff, hoping that it comes together Mm -hmm. at some point in time. So to have someone like you um, in the milieu I think is really uh, an advantage for the students. I, I haven't done enough thinking myself about the um, about how like the advent of the seven new adult use um, dispensaries, the effect of that, because my town has been really slow. My town has been sitting on its hands and not really doing anything like along the shore the towns are a mile apart. So mm-hmm. even though you're saying you're not doing it, if something is happening in the next mile, it's basically the same thing. But um, my town has not figured out how to address all of its fears, really. It, it, it's mostly that. So um, I think it's crucial that people like you be in conversations at the municipal level, you know, to help people think about, this is the stuff you should be thinking about, not just a simple, we don't want you here. Yeah. Well, uh, 
we have been, you know, talking quite a bit uh, to Atlantic City's uh, municipal uh, forces and uh, at Career Fair, one of our speakers was uh, Cash McKinley uh, from Atlantic City, and um, he has been uh, sort of a great champion of uh, both the industry and social justice, so he really has been kind of an excellent, excellent person to work with. And we do have a campus in Atlantic City too, so uh, we are kind of, you know, <laughs> we are in the backyard as well, so. Which is great. So, all right. So if you were to look out to the future to say, uh, you know, what you think it might look like, even in two years, mm. you know, what kind of changes do you see? Oh, uh, it's, uh, I, I am terrible at thinking, you know, that far ahead, just because I do not know all like the regulations. I think we're expecting like another set coming out in what August. Um, and this is when we will know like what will happen to the edibles market, for example, right? Uh, so it is um, kind of, you know, difficult uh, to predict the future in sort of very general terms. I will say that hemp uh, actually has a potential to become bigger than cannabis uh, simply because it's more versatile, it has more applications, uh, but only if we learn to kind of think beyond the CBD. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean uh, by that? You know, uh, I, I mean fiber production and, you know, it's just like, sure, we can grow hemp, uh, but, you know, in New Jersey, a lot of people are growing for the flower, growing for the CBD. And when they're done, they might not always be able to sell it because there is just like so much CBD in the market. And in New Jersey, you know, land is expensive. So uh, the cost is higher than elsewhere. Right. Uh, but what we can do is uh, to basically think about the supply chain uh, for the hemp products. Uh, for example, you know, if somebody wants to grow fiber hemp, that's great. Where can they sell it? Well, they're like not too many. So what we should be doing is building the businesses and the companies that will capitalize on it. So if anybody's listening, uh, looking to start a new business, think about all the wonderful things you can make with hemp seed, right? Like gluten-free flour, hemp cookies, you know, you name it, uh, oil, all sorts of, you know, products, fiber, if you wanted to start your own clothing company, here's your chance. You know, you can like literally buy fiber reasonably cheaply and start, you know, making your own fabric. Hempcrete, right, which is uh, not unfortunately, um, from what I understand, from what I was just recently been told, it's not allowed by New Jersey building codes as a weight-bearing material because it hasn't been tested. Uh, but, you know, it's just like, get on it, get it tested, like see, see what we can do with hempcrete, st let's standardize production, let's make sure that it can be uh, used, you know, in those types of applications. So I think that uh, we can think a lot of ways, like we have this new crop <laughs> that is available that hasn't been in use like since, you know, World War II, right? And in the World War II, they basically the government told farmers to grow hemp for fiber, for basically all sorts of, you know, applications. So, you know, there is no reason for us not to basically recognize uh, what the great potential this plant has. And uh, I do think that um, 
hemp supply chain, uh, this is where the future is going to be. Wow. I, I, I will say, I hope that yes. this is what is yeah. going to happen. Well, look, I mean, I was reading about um, some of the decisions that are being made in Europe now that have to do with hemp because I've just started to, to pay attention to try and understand uh, what I think about this question myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so it's very helpful what you just shared with me because now I can begin to research a little better and I'm sure that the listeners have also uh, experienced a kind of an opening because I think that that's what you just shared with us. Um, I really, really want to thank you for, um, well, I guess for just being kind of, you know, the teacher that you are. I mean, some, I think when you know stuff and when you understand things, it seems like a no biggie, but I, it's, I think it's really important um, that you gave us this mind share because it's something that you can take apart and kind of say, oh, I could look at it this way. You know, it's not just what we're being told in the media which is a very narrow idea because the public doesn't get a lot of respect <laughs> for their own intelligence. Well, I, I mean, yeah, it's, they usually do have a sort of a fairly limited way of uh, thinking. And uh, thank you so much. You know, you, you are very kind and uh, I do appreciate this opportunity uh, to talk to folks. And um, also I wanted to mention if I can give a very quick plug, uh, if that's okay with you. We also have a uh, completely online certificate program in cannabis studies. It's continuing education program. So it's not like a college credit program. And uh, it's basically, it's completely online and it has a class on uh, cultivation. It has a class on business. It has a class on uh, cannabis law and uh, medical research. And also we have like a lecture series into which like we bring speakers on campus and record them. Uh, and we also record all of our panels and all of our events and they also go into that content. So basically people can have access to uh, all this information that have been uh, discussed. And uh, I think we, we, we started this program because we have been hearing you know, from a lot of people who were adults who already had their college degrees or were not interested in getting a college degree. They already had their careers, they had their lives, but they wanted something that could help them enter this industry. And the certificate is completely self-paced you can also take those classes individually. If you just want a cultivation class, you can do that. And uh, you can basically do it at your own pace, on your own time online. And um, it has been quite popular. So if folks are looking for education, I definitely recommend it. And the, where we find that, the link for that is? Uh, uh, if you go to uh, Stockton uh, University uh, website, which is Stockton EDU, uh, and go under academics and click on continuing studies. This is where it's at. Okay. I'm going to definitely put that in the link below, you know, when I push it out. I, I can I can send you the direct link to yeah. the certificate. Program. I'll definitely do that. And I will um, share it with, um, you know, my different platforms 
Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today. Pass the word. Share the love. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. Can't wait to talk to you again on the next episode. Thank you.